You guys ready for a Bible study? I know I am. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Last chapter of that book, chapter 28, 16 through 20. This is our prayer experiencing on intimacy with God series. And we're talking about encountering God this morning. Prayer is conversation with God. You can see there on your notes, the intro for your notes. Prayer is conversation with God. However, conversations can remain mere exchanges of information that do not lead to true personal encounter and relationship. In other words, conversation can just be insincere and shallow. And we talked about how important it is that our conversations, not just horizontally with one another, but vertically with God, they've got to go beyond cliche conversation, sharing of facts, opinions. They've got to get to that deeper level of of feelings and needs. That God wants to meet us. He wants to meet us right where our hearts are most restless and and bring to us more of who he is. That's, That's that idea. We don't just want to know about God. We, we want to know him. We want to experience him in our life. That's the essence of the Christian faith. And, um, and so this has been one of the objectives of this series is, uh, as we've been working through this, is to help you to see and experience that nothing, nothing on this earth will bring you more pleasure than awe and intimacy with God. I think we have to be convinced of that. I I just think that we chase after so many things in this world that nothing, listen to me, let me say it again, nothing in this world, on this earth, can give you the pleasure that only God can give you in this uh, intimacy with him. It's got to go beyond conversation. Maybe you never thought of prayer as conversation. Yeah. It's not just monologue. It's dialogue with God. It's interaction with him. But it's got to move beyond this this conversation is going to be an encounter with God. And I know that on any given Sunday, we have a whole assortment of people that come in here, and many, you know, are struggling with all sorts of things, all the way from very difficult trials and trauma to maybe even temptations that are just harassing you and haunting you and, and working you over. And, and you may be thinking, man, if I could just, if I could just get rid of this, this problem, this pain, if I... My greatest desire is just to, to get rid of the pain of whatever it is, maybe the trial or, or the temptation. And I, and I think your, your desire is just a little bit uh, too small. It needs to be much greater than that. <clears throat> Consider the possibility of this, that if, that if he became your greatest desire, knowing him and experiencing him, don't you think that that would take care of your temptations and your trials? Absolutely, I'm convinced of that. And that's why this series is about that, to help you to see and experience that nothing on this earth will, will bring you more pleasure than awe and intimacy with God. And true awe and intimacy with God will not only keep you from being overcome by trials, but also from being overtaken by the crazy temptations of life. Even if your situation never changed, if you have awe and intimacy with God, you're going to find that he is more than enough. His grace is sufficient. Um, And you may be thinking, okay, okay, so how's a relationship supposed to help me with that? Um, If my problem or problems don't go away, how is a relationship with God going to help? Well, I I think a a relationship can change everything. 
and especially with God. Let me give you a quick example in my own life. Back when I was 19 years old, I was, uh, got accepted into the local union 469, local union uh, pipe fitters and pl- uh, plumbers local union. I became a pipe fitter, went into their apprenticeship, and they shipped me up to uh, St. John's, Arizona. Anybody know where St. John's, Arizona is? Okay. The thriving city of St. John's, Arizona. Kind of the, to me, nothing personal, but I thought it was kind of the armpit of, of uh, Arizona. And it's like, you're not going to probably be vacationing in St. John's. And I went and moved into a man camp there. I'm 19 years old. And oh my goodness, the loneliness and the intimidation for a 19-year-old starting the apprenticeship, working at the Coronado Generating Station. But something happened while I was up there. I asked my bride to marry me. We got married. And I moved her up there with me. And it made all the difference in the world, that relationship helped me. And I moved from this... uh, loneliness to great companionship from intimidation to to great courage. And uh, we moved into a little 8 by 35 trailer in the thriving city of Springerville. Anybody know where Springerville is, Eager? Yeah, so it was about 40 minutes away from that location, but we were, I was able to endure the year and a half that I was there until they relocated us back to, back to uh, Phoenix. And, And if that's true, in a human relationship, how much more true is that in a divine relationship? If God is in our lives, we have this all in intimacy with him. Believe me, he's more than enough. His grace is sufficient no matter what you're facing. Even if your situation never changes, he is more than enough. And you could probably say, and I would, this is what I would have said, it is, it is better, I would rather live in St. John's, Arizona with Nancy than in Hawaii without her. I mean, I, I could have said that very easily. And so you're going to be able to say, when you understand all intimacy with God, I would rather uh, have all these problems with God than to have all the comfort and treasures of this world without him. Because you're beginning, when you, when you say that, you're, you're beginning to get a glimpse of just how powerful this all intimacy with God is. So that's where we're headed this morning. We're going to really talk about this encountering God. And this all in intimacy has got to go, like I said, beyond conversation. It's got to be an encounter with him. It's got to be much deeper um, as we interact with him. And that's where we're headed. You're going to see on your notes whom we encounter. That's what we're going to look at first. And then what happens in this encounter. And uh, so let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we'll dive into our text and unpack these notes. Father God, we are amazed by your grace, that through the indispensable and costly death of your son, we can experience on intimacy with you. Help us to stop believing that anything in this world will bring us more pleasure than knowing you intimately. And help us to be so convinced of that, that we pursue you more than anything, more than even trying to rid ourselves of all the issues within our life, that we know that those things will be taken care of. If we, if we make you the, the passion, the purpose, the priority of our lives, show us wonderful things from your word, illuminated by your Holy Spirit, transforming us more and more into the image of your Son for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text, wonderful text. This is a post-resurrection of Jesus. He's hung out with his disciples for about 40 days, and 
These are his last words to him before he ascends into heaven. Verse 16, chapter 28, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Boy, isn't that true of all of us? Sometimes we worship, sometimes we doubt, we struggle. There's that struggle. And these are those that have encountered the resurrected Savior. If anything, they should be worshiping him, but they're doubting. Is this really him? Is this God? Is, this, is he who he said he is? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Ooh, I love this last part. It's so sweet. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. End of the book, right there. That's his last words. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, Whom we encounter, number one, on your notes, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is one God and three persons who have known and loved one another from before the dawn of time. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is one God and three persons who have known and loved one another from before the dawn of time. Verse 19, notice it says, baptizing them in the name, it doesn't say names, plural, it says names singular, it's giving us really the definition of the Trinity. We, have, we, we serve one God in three persons. He's one in essence, three in person. You'll never be able to figure that out, by the way, because your, your brain is just way too small and minus two. And uh, it's finite. He's infinite. And there's so many other doctrines that you're not going to be able to figure out. And, and, and not, those doctrines aren't to be necessarily <clears throat> conquered by your intellect, but to be celebrated that God is beyond our wildest dreams. And, and this is really important doctrine here. And what this tells us is that God has always had within himself a perfect friendship of adoring one another, giving and glorifying love to one another, and delighting in one another. That's the idea of the triune God. So when you think of the triune God, think of that. Think of the glory being shared within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God is infinitely and profoundly happy, filled with perfect joy, Because of this, without the Trinity, love would not have appeared until after God began to create other beings. God would be more fundamentally power than he would be love. That's why the the doctrine of the Trinity is so critical because the essence of God is love being expressed in the triune God. I gave you some verses there. First, uh, um, John in John chapters 14 through 17. This is part of the upper room discourse. This is the hours before Jesus is gonna be hanging on the cross. He's giving his disciples a lot of great instruction here. And Jesus refers to his life with the Godhead before he came to earth speaking in John 17, five, the glory I had with the Father before the world began. And then in John 17, eight, the words that he had received from the Father. So it's really speaking of this intimacy with the Father. And in fact, John 17 is a wonderful prayer. It is a glimpse into this divine discourse. And and you guys know this, that there's no joy higher than loving and being loved. But a triune God would know that love and joy in unimaginable and infinite dimensions. 
So God is therefore infinitely, profoundly happy, filled with perfect joy. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear about that. And so take a look at the next point on your notes. Number two, so we're trying to understand who, whom we encounter. The only reason God would have, have had for creating us, why did God create us, was not to get cosmic love and joy of relationship, because he already had it, but to share it, to invite us into that. That's why he says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. That's what discipleship making is. It's, it, it's inviting them into this, this joy, this pleasure, this pleasure that cannot be found any place on this planet earth. It's found in the triune God. And then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. John 17, verses 20 through 24, I just want to quote verse 22. It says, the glory, this is Jesus' intimate language, conversation, deep conversation with the Father, praying to the Father. He says, the glory that you have given me, speaking to the Father, this is Jesus speaking to the Father, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. I've invited them into this. I've given that to them. I love what C.S. Lewis, he gives a, a couple of really interesting quotes because oftentimes people think God commands us to worship him. Who does he think he is? He's going to command me to worship him? And um, some people kind of recoil, push back as a result of that. And I like what C.S. Lewis says here. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So anytime the Bible gives us this command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's inviting you to the, the greatest pleasure you're gonna ever experience in life. See, that's the Christian life. You're gonna find any other pleasure greater than the pleasure you're gonna find in interacting and knowing this triune God. That, that's, that's Christianity. I mean, my heart was overtaken years ago. When I began to understand this more clearly, I go, why wouldn't I go for him? Oh my goodness. It's insane not to. You're not even thinking if you, if you don't. And, and C.S. Lewis also says human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. <laughs> I mean, isn't that true of all of us? And we, we desire, if I could just get rid of these trials, these problems, these temptations, don't you think that if you, you made your desire a little bit higher, maybe like towards him, that those issues would be taken care of? Yes, absolutely. And um, next point in your notes, prayer is our way of entering into the happiness God of God himself because of the distinct work of every person in the Godhead. So when you look at creation, you see the distinct work of every person in the Godhead in creation, but also in our redemption. The Father arranged our salvation before the foundation of the earth. The Son accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. I gave you some verses there you can read on your own as you work through the growing notes. I just want to bring up one verse here, and that's uh, Ephesians 2.18. Listen to what it says. For through him, that is Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So you've got Christ, the Spirit, and the Father. So when we pray, oftentimes people will say, well, <clears throat> how should I pray? Do I pray to the Spirit? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to Jesus? Well, you could pray to any one of them. But the Bible teaches that, uh, I think that the, the way 
you probably should more consistently pray is that you pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the Holy Spirit. That's really kind of the understanding. But you could pray to, you can pray to Jesus, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, pray to God, because one in essence, three in person, and, uh, and that's all part of it. First Peter 1.12 tells us, it's really quite interesting, we studied this uh, back this last year, and there's a little section, and really it just basically says there that the angels who see God's face every day long to look into what you and I have, intimacy with God through the blood of Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're fascinated that God would rescue us and love us and, and adore us and bring us into this, this joy within the triune God of understanding that and experiencing that. And so this really answers the, the first question in the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Why, why in the world are you here? Not, not here at Desert Breeze, but like here on this planet Earth, and maybe too here at Desert Breeze. Why do you exist? It answers that, Westminster Catechism. See, see, most of us on this planet, we think that we can come up with our own purpose for living, and that's what you know, the American dream is, decide what you want to do and do it with all your might and find your own happiness. And actually, the Bible says, no, you were created uh, for God. In fact, the Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's why we use the statement, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so what are we all about? Finding our deepest satisfaction in him because that's when we put him on display the best in his glory. I I love it. They're one in the same pursuit, God's glory and my satisfaction. And and so that's, that's who, whom we encounter. So what happens when we actually encounter him? Number one, when we grasp Christ's astonishing and costly um, sacrifice, let me add to that, I've, I prayed that, indispensable, might I say also, indispensable, there's no other way. So when we grasp Christ's astonishing and costly and indispensable sacrifice for us, what do we do? We transfer our ultimate love and hope and trust from other things to Christ. That's why he says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do a baptism here. Baptism parties are big parties here at Desert Breeze. In a few weeks, we'll be baptizing some folks. And what they're doing is they're coming up, and they're making a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're, they're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That what he did, he did for me. You know, uh, though he was rich, yet for my sake he became poor so that through his poverty I might become rich in him. That's all part of it. And, and when you understand this, this indispensable, astonishing, costly sacrifice, you transfer your ultimate love, hope, and trust from other things to Christ. He becomes your identity. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday, about this whole identity. You know, people have identity crises, you know, and I don't... Uh, I haven't heard of that lately as much, but uh, there were guys having an identity crisis when they hit 40s and 50s and, and all of that. And I, I never did go through an identity crisis. And, and I think it was because my identity is in Jesus. That would never be in crisis because when you know that. But, but if your identity is in your job or your, you know, how old you're getting or how good you look or what, all of that, it's all going to deteriorate. You, you just need to know that. And of course, you're going to have identity crisis if you've misplaced your identity. But if your identity is in Jesus, there's no... No need for a crisis. 
That, that's what's happening. You've transferred your ultimate love, hope, trust from other things to, to Christ. John 1, 12 to uh, 13. So this is the essence really of this idea of, of conversion, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Conversion. John 1, 12 through 13, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus lost his relationship with the Father so that we could have a relationship with God as Father. Jesus cried out on the cross. We see in uh, Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time that Jesus refers to his Father as, as God. Every other time he's talking to his Father he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we can cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, do you understand the, the weight of that, the glory of that, the significance of that? That's unbelievably powerful. That in itself would send you right through the roof. I mean, it's just like, oh my goodness. Why, why do I struggle so much with this or that? I've got him. He's, he's more than enough. He's exactly, he's exactly what I need. And uh, Jesus was forgotten so that we could be remembered forever. Jesus Christ bore all the eternal punishment that our sins deserve. And that's the cost of prayer. Prayer should never be taken lightly. We have access into the throne room of God. He's our daddy. He's our father because of our savior was slaughtered. The creator of the universe came down and was slaughtered for you and I. Isaiah 53 says that he was beat beyond recognition as a human being, as a person. So when we go before the throne of grace, oh my goodness, that's the cost of, of prayer. To be adopted means that now God loves us as if we had done all Jesus had done. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness, I have all the acceptance, all the security, all the significance I'll ever need in Jesus. It's not found somewhere on this planet in a relationship, in money, in your bank account, and all these other things. That's what freaks us out is because we've misplaced our identity in all of those things. Therefore, our identity, you know, our anxiety pegs because our identity is misplaced. How much does the Father love the Son, Jesus? A lot. That's how much he loves you. How much does the Father delight in the Son? That's how much he delights in you. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. It's, it's totally amazing. So when we grasp Christ's astonishing and costly sacrifice and indispensable sacrifice for us, we transfer our ultimate love and hope and trust from other things to Christ. And then we begin to realize, this is number two, we begin to realize through the Spirit of God and the Word of God the magnitude of our blessings and our benefits and blessings in Christ. Benefits and blessings in Christ. So verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded did you know that the Bible commands us to rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. That's a commandment. Did you know that the Bible commands us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's a commandment. And uh, why would he do that? In commanding us to glorify him, he, he's inviting us to enjoy him. I love that. That's why he commands us. That's why he's saying, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded him. By the way, did you notice the order of that? It starts with baptizing. So baptizing is identifying with the substitutionary 
personal work of Jesus Christ, all that Christ has done for us. So it starts, so you don't obey him to get his blessing. You have his blessing, therefore you obey him. Why wouldn't you obey him? He loves you. To do anything other than that is to trample on his love and wisdom. And that's, that's the order. Baptizing them, conversion, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So that's, that's pretty powerful, pretty, pretty significant. John 17, 23, Jesus is saying, you, Father, have loved them, us, the followers, as you have loved me, Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 through 6, God sent forth his son to redeem so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I mean, we have the most intimate and unbreakable relationship possible with the God of the universe. You know that when Jesus was baptized, and they heard that voice from heaven. Remember what the voice said about Jesus? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Did you know those, are, those words are for us? That regularly, every day, you should just bask in the reality that he looks at you and he adores you and he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That'll revolutionize your life. That'll change how you face the trials and the temptations of life. Of course, yeah, that's, that's, that is amazing. You, I am his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. See, that's what righteousness is. You can't, you can't earn that and you can't unearn it by your bad behavior. You just enter into it by faith in Jesus Christ and, and the more you do that, the more it begins to transform your life. That's where that obedience to all that he has commanded us comes, comes out of that. And that's, that's pretty critical, that's, that's really important. Even though we may act like fatherless and futureless orphans, nothing could be further from the truth. And the more we live in the reality of the truth that we are his beloved children lavished with his love, the less envy, pride, anxiety, hope, hopelessness, and ingratitude will be a part of our life. I mean, I struggle with all of those. The Lord lately has been dealing with me as it relates to my envy. And I won't go into detail, maybe in the future, I, I, I share with you a lot about what God's dealing with me. He's been dealing with me in my envy, and this is what he was really kind of making very clear to me, is that the reason why you have envy, Ray, is because you don't understand the benefits and blessings that you have in me. That you think that there's still something out there that will somehow make you feel better about who you are, but you have everything you need in me. And, and I've struggled, you know, with anxiety and ingratitude, same reason. There's a, another C.S. Lewis uh, quote that has haunted me, and it says, the man who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. See, the reason why we have anxiety and envy and, and ingratitude and hopelessness is because we don't understand that. We don't understand what we have in God. I don't think we have any idea. I think we're gonna to get to heaven and we're gonna go, oh my goodness, I was aiming a little low. <laughs> I think we're all gonna say that. We're gonna go, my goodness, what in the world? I was filled with all sorts of anxiety and anger and depression. I had no need for that if I just had a little bit more of a glimpse of who you are, God. 
See, prayer is a way to sense and to appropriate this access and fatherly love and to experience the peace and strength in our life that results from the assurance of being a child of God. I've got uh, something that I'll go over from time to time. I actually hand this out in our, in our Game of Life class and it's my identity in Christ. And I like kind of praying through this from time to time. And it just, I mean, just understanding that. I am unconditionally loved. Here's just some of the implications. This is just a short list. I'm a child of God. It's got verses for each one of these. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Christ. I'm a member of the family of God. I'm justified. We talked a little bit about that, declared righteous before God. I'm being sanctified, made whole. He's working in my life to bring about wholeness, holiness. I'm going to be glorified, new body. So I'm unconditionally loved. I'm completely secure. How? I'm assured that all things work together for my good. I'm confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have all that I need through God's grace. My future is secure in Christ. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. Verses for each one of these. I mean, so if I were to ask you, what are the blessings and benefits that you have in Christ? I mean, you ought to be able to talk until... You're blue in the face, I mean, because there's so many of these blessings. It's just, it's just crazy what we have in Jesus. And then I'm incredibly significant. How is that? I'm, I'm a personal witness. I'm God's coworker. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm God's ministry of reconciliation. I'm God's salt and light on the earth. I'm God's branch chosen to bear fruit. I mean, if you just took any one of those and just begin to think through and pray the implications, pretty powerful stuff. I mean, you guys tracking with me at this, with any of this? I mean, do you understand? You understand what we have in Jesus? You understand there's the, that the greatest pleasure is not found somewhere in creation. It's found in the creator. That's where you're going to find your pleasure. That's where you find your identity. It's just... And I know we, we often think, and I sit down and talk with a lot of people, they're just saying, man, if I could just get rid of this, if this would just change in my life, if I could just kind of rearrange my circumstance. And we're always trying for some sort of circumstance enhancement. That's not where it's found. It's found in Christ and knowing him. And yeah, the circumstances will many times just kind of take care of themselves, but it'll give you that much more wisdom and the love and the, and the emotional wealth that you need to be able to navigate through those circumstances when, when he becomes your, your greatest desire. Here's... Uh, uh, and so, I mean, so I go back to what I said. I would rather, I would rather live in St. John's, Arizona with Nancy than in Hawaii without her. I would rather have Jesus grappling with all the junk in life rather than to have this perfect, comfortable, successful life without him. I, uh, the words that just made an impact on my life a number of years ago was this gal by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata who's been in a wheelchair for most of her life. She jumped into a shallow lake when she was 16 and she became a para, uh, quadriplegic, been in a lot of pain and torment. Wonderful woman, very godly woman. If you ever get a chance to read any of her books, especially the book uh, When God Weeps, is a phenomenal book, really talks about suffering, and she knows it firsthand. And this is what I heard her say one time, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus than outside of this wheelchair without him. <laughs> and I'm going, I wanna know her Jesus. I wanna know, I wanna know Jesus like she knows Jesus. That's pretty powerful stuff. That, that's, that's what it's about. Number three, we begin to want almost desperately to know and love God for himself because his love and regard make popularity and worldly status look pale and thin. Verse 17 in our text, and they worshiped him. What does that mean to worship God? Everybody worships something or someone. 
We're worshipers by nature. We are created to be worshipers. If we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. But they worship God. Worship means filling your mind with the beauty and the value of who God is and letting that go down deep into your heart. He becomes your treasure. You admire him above anything and everything. Being delighted in him and delighting him become inherently fulfilling and beautiful. If God has not become our happiness, we will primarily pray to get from him, to get things rather than to be with him, to get... Uh, to know him better. And evidence of this is that our prayer life seems only to heat up. Now, if, if I were to ask you, when does your prayer life really heat up? Evidence that he's a means to an end rather than the end is that our prayer life tends to heat up when our truest heart treasures are being threatened, blocked, or lost. I mean, if you don't hit your knees and begin to pray until maybe there's a threat, you're gonna lose your job, oh! That just shows me that your job's probably more important than, than God. Now, there's nothing wrong with hitting your knees and going to God you know, with the potential loss of job or loss of relationship, or maybe you've got that bad diagnosis. That's, that's cool, that's appropriate. The, the issue is, is that God is still a means to an end rather than the end because you should be already going to him just to be with him. And then that will prepare you to face whatever may come your way because things, things, bad things will come your way. That's inevitable in a fallen world. And you'll be that much more prepared for that. The sign that you have, have true saving knowledge of God and the gospel is taking root in your heart is that you establish your complete happiness in God and you long to know and serve him more than anything. A true awe and intimacy of God will keep you from sinning, not so much out of a, a dread of punishment, but because you love and honor God as Father so much that even if there, there were no hell, you would still shudder at offending him because you have such this close, intimate relationship with God. You have encountered him. A Christian who understands the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit seeks God not primarily to gain reward or avoid punishment since both are guaranteed in Christ anyway, but to build your complete happiness in him. See, that's the essence of the Christian life. Number four in your notes. In Christ, we get the love we need to make up for our unhappy our unhappy family history, and I, I put here, and you can put a slash there, and or past hurts, and or past hurts. They worshiped him, verse 17, verse 20 of our text, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The implications of that are just astonishing. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How many have ever felt like God was not with you? Show of hands, well, you can... You can confess this. Yeah, absolutely, we all have. Where are you, God? Doesn't look like you're anywhere to be found. I feel like I'm talking to the wall. My prayers are not getting any higher than the ceiling. And we all feel that. We all experience that. And yet he told us, I will never leave you. I will be with you to the end of the age, and I will bring you home to be with me. That's what he promised his disciples. That's a promise. He wrote it in blood. He told us that through the cross. Psalm 27.10, we talked about David running the full range of issues that he faces, and one of those was that in 27.10, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. <laughs> That's a sweet verse. 
I mean, this encounter with God is what you need if you've had a bad family background or even past issues and past hurts. We've all, we all have past hurts. Anybody here never been hurt? No. Then you got past hurts. And I'm, I'm hoping that you've, you know, you've kind of worked through those. And this certainly helps us to work through those past hurts. See, this is what you need if you feel like a failure, if you feel lonely, if you are sinking further into despair. Because of the infinite price paid by your brother, Jesus, God, your Father, will hold you up. He will support you. He will love you. He will heal you. He will strengthen you. Romans 8, 14 through 16, we studied these passages just a few weeks back. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. I love how the Living Bible puts it. And so we should not be like cringing, fearful slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children adopted into the bosom of the family, calling him Father, Father. There's another text that came to mind as I was thinking about healing, you know, the healing of our hearts is Psalm 147, three through four. It says this, that the, the one who names and numbers the stars heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's pretty f- fabulous. The one who names and numbers the stars can heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. Do you, do you understand that? He can do that. He wants to do that in your life. And then number five, we begin to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our our lives well, that our bad things will work out for good. Our good things cannot be taken from us. And the best things are yet to come. Verse uh, 20 And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think that's what he's talking about there. I think we begin to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well. That our bad things will work out for good. Our good things cannot be taken from us and the best things are yet to come. I was... uh, I gave you some verses there that really kind of helps you to understand that. Romans 8, 26. I've got 26 to 30. Actually, take it all the way to 32 on your notes. Just take it to 32 because it... It needs to go all that that way. It really helps you to understand all three of those. I was meditating on uh, Isaiah 40, 31 uh, on Friday. It's a powerful verse. Memorized it a number of years ago. Just God really began to speak to me through this verse. Anybody familiar with Isaiah 40, 31s? They that wait upon the Lord shall be renewed with what? Strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so that word, what does that mean to wait upon the Lord? I was asking my wife that and we were talking about it. So what does that mean to wait upon the Lord? And different translations will use trust or hope. I like the word hope. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It's confident, joyful expectation. I believe it's this right here. I know, God, you're going to take care of me. Certainly not passive. It's very active, but it's just kind of walking with God and it's knowing that he's going to take the bad and work it for for my good. Uh, and you're going to develop a 50-20 perspective. You guys know what a 50-20 perspective is? Genesis 50, verse 20. Remember Joseph? So this is how you know that he's, he's taking the bad and working it for good in your life, is that when you can look in the eyes of your perpetrators as Joseph did and said, you intended to harm me. 
But God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives, that you know that he can take your bad and work it for good and his glory, and that you don't have to live with, with regret of past wounds and hurts or things that you've done or resentment towards people that have hurt you. God can set you free, and it does take time. It takes time. It took Joseph some time to get to that place, but that's what, what he means. God, you do all things well. My life is in your hand. You can take the bad that's happened to me, and you're going to work it for my good and your glory. But notice also that our, our good things cannot be taken from us. I was thinking of another verse, uh, Philippians 4.13. I don't have to live a life of helplessness when it comes to the trials and the temptations of life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's, uh, that's Philippians 4.13. And the, and the best things are yet to come. Did you know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get? and that our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's not on your notes, but I, I wrote down 2 Corinthians 4.17. We don't have to live a life of hopelessness. I, I was reading that, and then I took it to the next verse after that, 2 Second, uh, Corinthians 4.17, 2 Corinthians 4.18, and it actually says that we don't, keep, we don't put our eyes on the seen, but we put our eyes on the unseen, because the seen is transient, but the unseen is eternal. And then later on, he says, we live by faith and not by sight. I mean, that's, that's outstanding. I mean, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. So this is what we need to keep in mind is that God is at work lovingly, wisely, and powerfully in the worst of times doing a thousand things we can't see with our finite minds. That's, that's what, what it means, handling our lives well. You can trust his loving, wise control of your life, not because you can see his hand in your circumstances, but because you can see his heart on the cross. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon says. It's almost like he's, he's showing us what Jesus' response might be to our doubting, our doubting that, that Jesus is care, cares and concerned for us. What? Not help you? I bought you with my blood. What? Not help you? I died for you. Since I have done the greater, will I not do the less? Your requests are nothing compared with what I am willing to give. See, that's Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the last one. This is where we'll end. Our conversation with God leads to an encounter with him as we sense his presence, receive his joy, his love, his peace and confidence, and therefore are changed in attitude, behavior, and character. I gave you some verses there that you can, you can study on your own. Um, hey, if you're new here this morning, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being our guest. I'd love the opportunity to meet you right up here and give you a coin to, uh, to our cafe to get a, have a drink on us. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we would love to pray with you this morning, right up here, right in the front. And uh, hey, if you have never made a confession of faith in Jesus, what in the world are you waiting for? I mean, come on, this is an invitation to the greatest pleasure you will ever experience. I'm not saying it's easy, I'm not saying it's, you're not gonna have trials and problems, but I'll tell you what, you're gonna have the resources, you're gonna have his presence power and peace in the midst of that stuff. And I would invite you to pray a prayer of confession of faith in him even as we pray now. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those who need 
to give their lives to you, that they would do that. Even, even now, and maybe in a few weeks, that they would make that public through water baptism, that they would acknowledge their sin that separates them from you, believe that you died on the cross for their sins, and confess you as Savior, give their lives over to you. Father, there is nothing on earth that can bring us more pleasure than all in intimacy with you. We ask that this next week as we spend time with you in prayer and Bible study, both personally and in our life groups, that, that our conversation with you would turn into an encounter with you, sensing your presence, infusing us with joy, lavishing us with your love, giving us a peace and a power to face anything transforming our attitudes, behavior, and character more and more to display your beauty and glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. See you Easter weekend. Thank you.